Hello, and welcome to Contour Podcasts. I'm Joshua Craker, the Chief Product Officer. And I'm Carl Wagner, the CEO of Contour. So today we're going to be talking with the International Chamber of Commerce. So the International Chamber of Commerce has recently set up uh, the Digital Standards Initiative, and they have a very important task, which is to establish globally harmonized, digitized trade environment, which of course is very important to us at Contour as well. Uh, so we're going to be talking about where we are in terms of implementing digital standards. It's a bit of a follow-up from our last podcast. So let's get to the latest update with our special guest. Please welcome Oswald Kaler. He's the Managing Director of the ICC's Digital Standards Initiative. Welcome, Oswald. Thanks, Josh, and uh, thanks so much for having me, uh, Josh and Cole. No problem. So let's kick into this. So I guess last time we, we, um, we've sort of had this discussion around standards, it can get quite broad. Uh, so I'd love from your perspective, from the ICC's perspective, you know, what is standards for you? Like, what is the mandate uh, of the DSI? You know, everyone knows, you know, the ICC has lots of standards for trade and trade finance, like, you know, UCP, URDG, URC, all of these great acronyms. Uh, but I know it goes beyond that. So if, if you could sort of define that from the ICC's perspective, what are standards and what that mandate is, that'd be really helpful, I think. Uh, thank you. And, and um, yeah, I'm quite excited to be here. So I think to your first question, what are standards? To me, when I look at standard, standards are basically a set of like norms or requirements fundamentally um, on things or processes, etc., that are universally uh, applicable, things that we don't necessarily compete on. And it's also areas where we don't necessarily want to, when we approach projects, reinvent the wheel every single time. And so there's a great level of efficiency that you can get when you look at any system and fundamentally so well, when we think a little bit about what are some of those foundational you know, norms or requirements that are always universally true. We all in our systems need to have, for example, the identity of companies. Some of us might have to have the identity of things. Some of us might have to store location-based data. So are those really the areas that every single time we design a solution or we work with customers, we want to reinvent how we define those? Or are those areas where we can actually have a set of norms, have a set of requirements that we all leverage? And both, again, from an efficiency perspective, shorten the amount of design and build time that we spend on solutions. But even further down the line, when we actually have multiple different solutions in our supply chains, um, you know, have the ability to speak the same language. So, for example, if a importer and exporter have two different solutions, ensuring that, for example, the uh, identity of companies are consistent reduces translation challenges uh, along the way. So I can go off on a tangent for quite a, <laughs> on quite a few reasons why standards are important. But I think from an ICC perspective, when you have a look at this global trade environment and global trade landscape, I look at a single data point that the DCSA, the Digital Container Shipping Alliance, released, I think it was in November last year, which is 0.1% electronic bill of lading issuance globally. And to put this number in perspective, this is fundamentally after we've been trying to digitize, for example, electronic bills of lading now for almost two decades. And so when we look in some of these spaces, we look at that and go, okay, well, this is a space potentially where the ICC can kind of step in because we're a cross industry and cross region based and actually produce standards that kind of solve for the things that are holding those areas back. 
So helping businesses do better is a key focus of ours. And this is an area where we can do so. Okay, no, I think that's great. So, so maybe just to, to, to just to make sure we're all speaking about the same thing. When you say the standard, like the idea of a company or of a thing or of a location, are you talking about making platforms speak the same language in terms of APIs? So what is the field length? How, how should the company be required? What, what is what is the name of the USA? Is it, is it USA? Is it US? Is it America? Is it United States of America? Is that what you mean by a standard? Uh, or does it go beyond sort of field lengths and those types of definitions? It goes beyond that. And I almost look at it on, basically I look at it on four different levels. So on the first is, um, for, and when I look at foundational like data, like for example, the identity of companies or identity of things, it is all of that, but it's also more, it's the process in which we all govern that. Even though we both might be using the same field, how do we ensure that when I talk about identity in my system and you uh, about identity in your system, that at least from a trust perspective, we know that the way they were created, the way they are managed and maintained are, are fairly similar. So we can start, start reducing some of those frictions. There's other levels too. So when I think about business documentation like electronic bills of lading, um, there's all these different document types, warehouse receipts, invoicing, etc., where it's making sure that the information architecture, so the data and the fields, uh, that we have a very similar view on that. There's the process side, making sure that we're, when, we, when, when these flow through systems, they at least adhere to a certain level of minimum requirements. But then I would actually expand, exta- extend that to the legal side too. So when we think a bit about, for example, electronic transferable records, and we look at the various different jurisdictions globally, you see different countries that, for example, Germany, uh, if you think about Japan, if you think about New York state law, that have various different approaches on how do you actually define the definition of electronic transferable record and actually ensure that it's enforceable. So when we think about, for example, Unitrol's model law for electronic transferable records, even though it's not necessarily a standard, but it's also ensuring that we have a holistic view on the challenges and that we, we kind of um, advocate for regulation change where, where needed. And then the final thing that I'll mention is if I think about rule books, for example, so we look at all these different platforms out there and they all have different terms and conditions or rule books that define this is how, for example, a document of title is managed. This is how we transfer possession. This is if we go to paper, what we should do. This is how if we come back to digital, how we should approach it. And so it's also creating a set of common terms and rules for situations like that. And so I look at, for example, encode terms, which I think works brilliantly for the physical landscape. And so the question is, what's that for digital? How do we ensure that when we construct these terms and conditions or rule books for the different platforms, we're all speaking the same language? And each of these, in my view at least, each of these are required for us to get to a point where we can have, you know, trade facilita- you know, tr- uh, trade digitization at scale and at mass. It can't just be the individual elements. One of the things I tell a lot of the, the importers and exporters that I talk to quite often is, you know, when I look at the technology side, standards on the, the fields, uh, standards on the processes, standards on the APIs and the integration, those are complex challenges but they're doable. It's, it's something where we can all get into a room and we can kind of agree on how should we potentially approach this. But when I think about terms and conditions, rule books and regulation, that, that's a little bit harder. <laughs> and that's where 
when when you think about it, its terms, its rules, it's making sure everyone agrees on it. On it, it's it's approaching different regulatory landscapes, um, and and yeah, the complexity goes on. So it's 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 quite broad. <laughs> okay, um, so you know, Carl, from from the last time we we spoke, uh, you know, to our audience, you know, it was a couple of months back. Tell us sort of where where Contour is now, and and sort of in your view, uh, the role that Contour has to play in this sort of um, in this world of standards and, and obviously driving digitization forward. And then, you know, I'll ask you the same question after Oswald in terms of what role do you think Contour plays, but go ahead, Carl. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Yeah, from the last two months, again, um, we, at toward the end of last year, we talked about going into production. Um, we are in production now, which, which is fantastic. Doing live transactions, we have uh, banks in 12 countries supporting us and continue to grow that network and, and expect to be adding, I don't know, up to about uh, five to 10 more countries in the next uh, 30 days or so. So um, working in various industries, uh, we're seeing petrochemical, iron ore, textiles. Um, so again, taking what we learned last year in beta and, and now putting into production and um, everyone's quite excited about it. And again, it's, it's, Everyone's introducing everyone else, which is which is really nice. We don't have a lot of um, uh, cold calls because it's always someone, you know, a bank saying asking a corporate to join, or a corporate asking a bank to join, or a bank, you know, corporate to corporate, bank to bank. So everyone is beginning to to build that that snowball, and and uh, it, it, it's growing quite rapidly. So it's um it's exciting. We're looking at again how to expand in all these countries, how to go global almost instantly which is uh, just having a conversation with the, the team this morning. But yeah, so I think it's, 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 a, it's a great time to, to be building. And as I look at standards, um, again, standards are super important for us um, uh, because we want to scale. Um, and if you want to scale digitalization, it's, it, it's going to really be through standards, right? And, and we need to, to, to talk to all the other networks. Um, but I guess for, from our perspective, it's more instead of waiting for everything to be set to start, right? We want to start first, right? And, and, and start building a network and then adapt to whatever standards are out there, right? And keeping them in mind. And again, from a product side, you're looking at it and making sure that, you know, we're, we're adaptable and we're going to fit what's out there makes, makes sense. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's a good point. Just to add on that a bit before I pass it over back to you, Oswald, is that, you know, we have to make decisions about standards all the time when we're building, you know, these networks. So this is actually why the launch product of Contour is the letter of credit, because we saw it as the most stable standard that's out there. Everything else is sort of changing and moving around payment obligations and you know, I'm sure we'll get there in, in the future, but in terms of choosing a center that's stable, that's used in the industry, it's one of the reasons that we, we chose letters of credit and why we're hoping that our corporates use things like LEI when, when they sign up to our platform uh, mm -hmm. and why we're, we're looking to integrate with sort of the existing uh, electronic bill of lading providers. But, you know, if we can do more, Oswald, do let us know. And I guess the question back to you is, you know, what is the role of, of Contour in, you know, helping the standards move forward? Or if it isn't on us, you know, who is it? You know, who is gonna help us, uh, you know, as an industry, you know, move towards that scale that we all want? Yeah, yeah, and and I must say, Josh, I, I have to um, not not just agree, but kind of advocate for the decision you guys made on uh, taking LC first. 
um, and your rationale behind it. I think that that is so instrumental and was so mature. And I think it helps also give customers a sense of security, right? Knowing that, you know what, we can invest, we can join this network and, you know, there will be an exceptionally small amount of regret cost, cost, if any, going forward in this space. So I think really fantastic. And I think to your point on leveraging standards like LEI, that is exactly what we're trying to do with the broader ecosystem now. So I'll take a step back and I'll talk a bit about my view on networks like Contour. And then what I might do is talk a bit about where we're going with standards and how we all kind of work together. So I have probably for the last four years, even in my previous um, and some of my previous roles, have advocated that you know, networks like this is fundamentally the digital future, the digital infrastructure of, of the future. This is fundamentally where we're go, going to both see the use cases of today around like LCs, e-bills, et cetera, uh, be executed. And a lot of people talk about efficiencies, effectiveness, cost savings, but also more importantly, and the part that excites me is in the future, all the use cases we'll be able to enable in these networks um, once we actually hit scale. And so I look at networks like Contour and I go, this is a, a place that's beautiful because you provide people with the tools, um, et cetera, that's required to create, you know, products. Um, and the partnership between, you know, organizations like ICC and Contour cannot be more valuable. So one of the things that we're doing, for example, next month is that we'll be releasing a online website or online portal that gives everyone a sense of what is the actual trade process? When we have a look at it at a, at a macro level, what actually happens between importers, exporters, banks, etc. And very importantly, what are the standards that's already available today that people can adopt? We don't have to wait 18 months to actually get going. And where, you know, organizations just like yours have been very mature and have selected items like LEI, there's quite a few people who have no idea, for example, that LEI even exists. So we need to go and we need to ensure that people have a space where they can actually navigate that complexity and actually find these standards. The second part is when we you think a bit about the partnerships that you have, you know, Bolero, et cetera. Um, this is very important because as we work and we start partnering, for example, with organizations like the DCSA on the EBOL standard that they have, you'll see some of these actually start adopting hopefully in the future standards that will ensure and enable that both the information and, and process architecture of the solutions become fairly similar. And you'll see them, you know, a, a wealth of applications and different entrants actually being able to participate. And more importantly, get to a future where every organization can pick for themselves and go, okay, I want to be able to transfer, you know, work with uh, warehouse receipts. I'm going to select the one platform, you know, the one application of my choice. And I know that if I'm on a platform like Contour, all of them are actually compatible. So I, I think I think at a principal level, what we're trying to do at an international level with standards and what you're doing at a platform level is fully aligned. And I think that by, by ensuring that we ensure that our standards are aligned to kind of uh, the use cases that you're also seeing coming, coming through, um, and our, our position to uh, to reduce the complexity of integration, that's going to be critical. So I'm quite bullish. I'm bullish on platforms like Contour because I believe that we're just going to see more and more and more innovation over time coming out of them. What do you think, Josh? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I, and I think Carl and I w- would definitely agree in terms of that 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 future. Um, I guess it's it's really about that path forward. And you know, mm-hmm. you've you've mentioned now a couple of times around transferable title, and maybe this is an area people don't realize that you know the ICC and, and the DSI, in more in particular, is, is involved in. So you know, because our first product is letter of credit and the secure title transfer uh, electronically is so important to digitizing that overall process. You know, it's been a key focus of us. And, you know, you've mentioned that we've partnered with the existing one. What is happening in this space? You know, do you see scale coming to title transfer of, of shipping documents and even other documents as well uh, through standardization? Uh, I definitely see scale coming. And I think it, we, we're operating at two different time frames for that scale. So the most people would agree. Uh, that when you see model laws like Unicitrol's model law for electronic transferable records start getting momentum and deployed uh, in more countries globally, that you'll start living in a landscape where the transfer of title uh, in electronic format, whether that is through a PDF version of the physical document or new modern ways of dealing with title, would fundamentally become irrelevant once you have that model law deployed. That takes time though. Updating regulation takes time. And so you'll see one of the key area of pillars of work that we have in the DSI is actually working with Unicitrol and actually going at a country by country basis, having a look at how do we actually translate the value of that model, model law into the local context, considering the local culture and actually start accelerating that push. That's very important. We fundamentally need that for all of the various different use cases that we can both imagine today and haven't yet thought of in the future. That being said, we still need something in the short term. We need to find a way so that when I have a supply chain, and let's say I have 10,000 suppliers in my supply chain, that I don't necessarily need to go and sign up to 10 or 15 different rule books on title management just to ensure I can start a process in one system and conclude it in another. And so the only way that we can do that is if we have a very, uh, very, very uh, focused um, approach on how do we solve rulebook interoperability. So what we've done there is we've taken quite a a multi-step approach. Last year in December, we had a massive workshop, Josh. I remember, I think you were there with over 36 different platform providers talking about rulebook interoperability, the terms and conditions around that, and some of the challenges that they are facing today in the landscape that we're operating in. And what we've seen at this point is we've extended those workshops where we've actually engaged with almost 100 different companies from retail to mining to shipping, et cetera, to talk through, well, from their perspective, what are the challenges? when it actually comes to this level of integration, because it's the legal side. And the other thing, Josh, that we've done, especially in the last month, is ensure that we we, we bring in a lot of lawyers, <laughs> people with legal capabilities looking at this challenge. Now, our objective is that fundamentally where I want to end up with is some form of product, whether we call it a, whether it's a digi-terms, so basically the terms and rules of the future that everyone can leverage within their terms and conditions of their platforms, and it enables a certain level of, of, of interoperability, or whether it's another type of product through another organization. 
but what we we need to enable that use case and so um so what you'll see us doing in that space specifically is really aggressively pursue this this rule book interoperability challenge and we'll continue to bring more and more and more people into the tent i think the final thing i'll say josh on that the, that that landscape is it's also important for us to recognize that we need to solve this for a world that has a, a multiple different ways of operating. We have non-blockchain platforms, we have blockchain platforms, and we have still organizations using physical documentation. And so whatever we produce need to fundamentally work for all three of those operating uh, landscapes. Okay, Carl. So I'm curious for, for your view on this and speaking to a lot of banks and corporates around the world, do you think that you know, uniform digiterms uh, would help ease adoption, you know, in terms of these different, you know, platforms? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, I think the uh, key thing was, was that uh, talking about you're talking to the different countries and the regulators, right? Because this is a journey, right? We're going from, you know, this paper has been around for hundreds of, you know, you know, did, you know, LC's been around for 400, 500, I don't know how many, a thousand years, whatever, and and we're trying to 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 digitize it, but it's a journey, right? It's structured data is the goal, right? If we could all be moving information in in a structured data, and and then you can do so many different things with it, right? You can you can do you know financing could be cheaper, it could be easier, um, you know, uh, and and you could do that, but that's a journey. Structured data is the endpoint, and then. Structured data that's been verified is even better. But first, we got to get there, and first, we got to get from paper to electronic data. So it's a PDFs, right? So we go from from paper to PDFs to structured data. It's this journey. And I remember in, I think it was 2005, I was uh, working another company on on trade and digitalization. Back in the uh, this is new concept called the internet, right? That we were we were trying to use. Or for paperless trade, and there was the ASEAN paperless trading uh, initiative, and all ASEAN was going to go paperless trading by this is 2005 by 2007, and then they were going to do it by 2009, right? And it never made progress. I mean, everyone tried, but we didn't have some set standards, right? And also, there was no one to talk to each one of these countries individually. It was all the countries talking to each other. And everyone was saying, well, my standard's better than your standard. Why should I use yours, right? And it became, you know, it was very difficult to make any progress. So I think, you know, what ICC is doing and, and you know, talking to the regulators is fantastic because that's going to move things forward because, and as you said, the cultural aspects of it, everyone sees it slightly different, right? Speed is going to be, uh, you know, some countries are ready to do it. Some countries need to be brought along this journey. Um but uh, making this progress, everyone will see a benefit, right? And as we're going step by step. And to build on Carl, what, what you just said is, I, I look at everyone wants to build back more resilient now, right? It's a universal view that we know that our supply chains, paper is a problem. It's a health and safety problem, for example. So, so we're all connected in this goal of saying it's no longer a theoretical conversation three years ago saying that paper introduces risk into your supply chain. It's something that people can practically measure today. And also, secondly, it's no longer a theoretical conversation around all of the effectiveness and efficiency 
uh, that, that people can actually, you know, get out of going digital because companies like yours are now proving it, showing that, look, you can digitize an LC. This is the value. It is in production, etc. And so it helps organizations like the ICC actually have a practical conversation now. It's not, not a theoretical conversation as to why digitization is good. The thing that also helps us is we have the puzzle pieces. There is a model law from the United Nations that we can take to you know, countries. Um, it has been, for example, ratified through Singapore now. So we can show them, look, it's again, not theoretical. Practically, this has been done. And that helps us a lot. And I think the final point I would also make is to what Carl also mentioned when he spoke about the LEI. It's this mature view of not reinventing the wheel every single time. It's coming in and saying, how do we use stuff that is working? Or how do we use standards that are already there? And what I found was a lot of people want to participate in the creation of standards, but we don't have enough conversations around the adoption of standards. And so that's one of the key things that you also see us drive the next 12 months. You know, if people want to have a bill of lading standards for bulk, there's a great bill of standing standard lading, uh, bill of lading standard for containers. Let's show that we can actually adopt the standard before we necessarily, you know, put all of our weight into defining new ones. Anyway, sorry, I just wanted to add that to. to yeah, no, I, I, I think that's really good, Oswald. So, so who's who is it on? Who's the onus on to adopt standards? You know, who who do we need to say, let's move this forward, let, let's adopt? Is it banks? Is it corporates? Is it shipping companies? I, so my view, and I'd love your views on it. Uh, so my view is it's, it's, it's all of the above. So firstly, it's making sure we bring the shippers into the fold. I've myself have been guilty in the past of not necessarily looking at the shipping industry and really understanding, okay, well, what are the challenges there and what are the solutions that they believe can actually help us with this digitization journey? And so what you would have seen us do is we bring brought in, you know, organizations, for example, like BIMCO, the world's largest shipping alliance, into the conversation to say, okay, we're trying to digitize trade. Uh, how do we ensure that we bring your community along with us on this journey? Then it's going to the actual importers and exporters. And, and so, you know, we, they've seen the working capital reductions going into digitization. And while that's been good for sellers, buyers necessarily didn't necessarily align to the working capital impact of going digital. So how do we ensure we have a mature conversation around sharing value? Because this is as much a technology problem as it is a change management problem, right? And then ultimately, how do we work with the glue, people like yourselves, people like banks, people like Swift, as an example, to say, OK, well, the importers and exporters, you know, fundamentally agree on the northern style of trade digitization. You know, different industries are producing different standards based on what's really great for them. Bills of lading out of the shipping, warehouse receipts might come from another one, etc. Now, how do we adopt this? How do we bring this in so that we can actually have interconnectivity? So that's a long way, Josh, of saying it's basically it's everyone. Everyone has a role to play, but a slightly different role based on the standards within their respective industries. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a really good point in terms of we do need everyone to move. And maybe this is why it's so challenging, because we need everyone to move. You know, I think one of the things that scares people as well is, you know, is this legally viable right now or is it not? So, you know, we won't blame any one country, but say country X all of a sudden adopts modal law. You know, what does that mean? Did it, was that was it 
illegal before or now is it only legal in country X, which means it's not legal in a different country? Or is it more just helping the adoption? This is such a powerful question, Josh, and it's a scary question. <laughs> so, so we have regulation and then we have private law contracts. So what, what we've seen over the last, let's say, 20 years, is, this is exactly why we have the rule books, right? So because there was fragmentation in the regulatory landscape globally, different countries had different approaches to regulation on electronic transferable records or electronic records, and most of them, vast majority had none so there was no foundation so so what did we do in this landscape where we all wanted to use electronic records but there's no regulation that supports it how do we solve that how do we solve liability well we created private law contracts terms and conditions and titles and that fundamentally created that that infrastructure above the regulation so that if something went wrong the importer the exporter the bank knew fundamentally who to take to court right how do i manage that risk and so what, what that, that legal foundation currently is within the actual platforms. So the platforms have terms and conditions and rule books. And so what I tell a lot of people is when people ask me, should I wait two or three years to digitize? I go, no, not at all. Start digitization today because fundamentally, this is something that you should have probably have started like five or 10 years ago. And as we mature, as countries start adopting the model law, that would just supersede or replace the need for some of the clauses in those terms and conditions or rule books. And we'll see the world maturing in that landscape. So I would say private law is solving it today. Sign up to your platform of choice. The platform terms and conditions and rule books generally are solved for the lack of regulation. And, and join us in our journey of, 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 of working with countries to amend the, the regulation. I think that's a, that's a great answer. It's probably the, the best one I've heard. So, so Carl, you know, is is that well understood? Do you think in the industry, or is there still confusion around this point? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question as well, right? I mean, no, it's not really understood. I mean, everyone is is looking at their own world, right? And you have finance, you have carriers, you have uh, you know other other areas of, of business. I mean, the, the, you know, the, you know, it's, you know, it's the carriers and it's bulk and it's container, right? You have the inspections, you have customs, all these different ecosystems, you know, I, so many times I've seen, you know, these, these uh, products or these companies saying we manage trade end to end. I'm like, that's pretty amazing, <laughs> right? Who really manages trade end to end? No one really can. Right, you manage a an area, you manage the freight booking from end to end. Now that's pretty important, but that's not all trade, right? And so um, <clears throat> I think it's really important that people know that there are others out there in the whole trade process that they need to work with, right? So setting some of these standards, mm -hmm. and again, some of these standards so that they can connect, they can share information, they'll see the benefit of that. Um, and you know, some, you know, there's sometimes it's the buyers that have the power. Sometimes it's the sellers have the power, right? Um, you know, and and they also have to. I think you know, Oswald, you talked a little bit about um, you know buyers not seeing the value in it. I remember talking to and I still talk to companies about this now. Is there's got to be a certain amount of of trust for transparency, right? You open your kimono that mm. this is how the transaction really works. Now it. 
the timing of a transaction went this way before because it was paper, right? You, a site payment was never site. It never was instant, right? It was always five to seven days by the time you got the documents there and you made the remittance and you received it, right? But site was, you know, site somehow becomes five days, right? And everyone knows that, understand. So mm. again, if you're efficient and you can actually make a, you know, a site payment at site, it doesn't mean that you go five days earlier. It just means that, okay, we all knew, you know, the CFOs on both sides have said site is five days. Let's just make it, you know, this date plus five, right? So you don't have to change your payment terms. I mean, when you're getting payment, the payment terms change because now we have the transparency to talk about it. But I mean, before no one knew and everyone sort of left all this leeway and, and, and that's gone, it's going away now, right? But you have to trust your, your counterparties to have an honest conversation about this. And, and that takes a certain level of trust. Mm. Yeah, and Carl, I want to build on what you're saying because what I, one of the things that I found was I'll give you an example. I was looking at a, a, a company uh, recently who's uh, setting aside two hundred million dollars for um, sustainability projects that relate to transparency throughout their supply chains, etc. But when I was talking to the the people who were leading the uh, blockchain uh, the blockchain drive, it was basically one person at twenty percent of that person's time. And I went, "There's a disconnect here." And what I found was that you know, from an industry perspective, a lot of people are still looking at the business case for digitization as that as a you know a working capital reduction. How do I do that calculation or effect efficiency within my sales operations or, or a team? Not necessarily realizing that fundamentally, if you want to, for example, if you want to uh, achieve most of the UN sustainability goals, you need to digitize your supply chain. If you want to know how much water was used at the mine site that is producing that iron ore that's going into that Tesla car. You need to have digitization because if you don't have digital, yes, we can OCR electronic records, right? But I guarantee you it's going to cost a lot more dealing with physical documents, different types of manual entry um, onto those and, and trying to get our army of people to translate some of the, the paper writing on that information to prove it than it would be using whether it's blockchain or non-blockchain platforms. So it's almost, and you'll see this in the site that we're launching next month, it's almost a, a an area where we almost need to help people orientate themselves away from just the working capital um, impact and, and, and teach them and show them how to actually approach all these other use cases when it actually comes to the financing or, or the, uh, the creation of these projects. Yeah, I think it's really about this foundational infrastructure for digitization that leads to all of these exciting use cases, right? It might start off with trade finance, but it could easily grow into sustainability in other areas. You know, I was listening to the head of the MAS Innovation talk about sustainability, and they want to they wanna really put money behind, you know, green finance. But they can't even do that yet because there's no tools that actually tell them this transaction meets a certain requirement or a certain standard. So I think infrastructure is the absolute core. It's, it's the beginning and this is what we're hoping to provide. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, starting with, you know, a simple use case and then I think over time it'll become more complex. But I'd, I'd like to get a little bit further into the, into the future, maybe just 12 months. <laughs> what, is, what is the wish list? And I'll ask both of you. 
what would you what would you like to see happen in the industry in the next 12 months that you think is is sort of feasible to happen you can go first oswald so I'll go first <laughs> So, so there's a few things. So, so, um, and I'm going to kind of link it back to the, 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 the deliverables that I have for this year, right? So the first thing is, um, we're, we're releasing that site that I kind of spoke about, um, next month. And, and my wish list there is that whether you're a technologist working at a platform or someone producing a brand new app, an fintech, or whether you're even a developer working at a importer or exporter is actually go to, you know, the DSI website and have a look at what are the standards that already exist. And you'll see, for example, Josh Ali on that list and, and, and leverage the, them. It's going to, you know, cut time on your development costs. And it's also going to ensure that you get future proofed. By adopting these, you know that integration is going to be simpler. And so my, my hope and dream there, Josh, is that we, we see less and less new platforms or new apps being generated that are reinventing the wheel on some of these items and more and more following the approach you guys have taken, which is use standards like LEI and approach some of the, the use cases where there's a lot more maturity and certainty in how you can enable it. Uh, the second thing that I'm really hopeful of is that we see more and more regulators really approaching this model law for electronic transferable records and, and are seeing in the press more statements of support um, of, of adoption. Um, now, it, it, that's going to take a lot longer. So you'll see probably statements, not, not more within the next 12 months. I'm, ho I'm very hopeful and bullish, Josh, that we'll see a solution um, at least being published on uh, you know this rulebook challenge that we have, whether that's a publishing of a standard or a framework, et cetera, or whether it's, it's just us all pointing to a Northern star this year of this is what potentially could solve this private law challenge. And then finally, Josh, to me, it's on the individual standards. It's seeing adoption of standards like the DCSA EBIL standard for containers, seeing us starting the process of actually creating a bulk standard with some additional partners that we'll announce a little bit later. It's seeing us tackle the invoicing standards landscape where there will be more than one standard. So we need to figure out a way of how do we how do we operate in a world where there's multiple. And finally, you'll see other documents of title, like, for example, warehouse receipts also being kicked off from a standards perspective. So I think in short, if I had to almost summarize 2021, to me, it would be a foundational year. It's make sure everyone understands the trade finance process. Everyone has a solid view of what are the standards that are already there. And everyone has a view of what are the, the missing gaps and who's actually working on it and, and, and participating. And then the final thing, Josh, that I'll say is that, you know, um, and, and it kind of boils back to the conversation we just had a bit earlier, is us advocating for more importers and exporters to embrace trade digitization. There's not a magical date. It's not in 2023, this is the time to digitize. We need to get more. I've seen the growth in the industry last year. I think during a pandemic, it should be a lot bigger. And so I'm hoping that we can play a part at the ICC this year and getting more people towards adopting digital uh, platforms. I think that's great. Uh, Carl, what is your wish list? Next 12 months, I mean, really, it's continuing what we're doing now. Develop a, a community, you know, a network of, of banks, corporates, and partners right, that are going to be working together to, to take everyone on this digitalization journey, 
right? And it's, I think the partners are a, a key part of it as well, right? And it's, whether it's EL, it's um, marketplaces, it's customs, it's KYC, sanction checking. There's all these other systems that are out there that are part of the trade process. Um, and, you know, we're, we can't do everything, right? We know what we can do and we need to partner and work with them to be able to create a home, a more holistic uh, service and, and benefit to, uh, to our customers. And um, so I think, you know, as, as these standards become more adopted or understood, then that makes it easier to talk to partners, right? And working with partners to, to, to leverage on these. And I think the key thing, you know, with Oswald and the team, you know, the collaboration is, is key point, collaboration with regulators, you know, and, and industries, right? So they understand the benefits and, and keep on moving forward. I think obviously the pandemic got everyone focused on being paperless because of the challenges, but how do we keep that moving forward? Because it was just, it, it didn't work. So what do we do? But that's not the same thing as looking to the future. How are we going to make our supply chains more robust? How are we going to be more competitive by being more digital, right? So it's it's not just solving a problem for now, but but uh, you know building something for the future, right? And I think a lot of this stuff um, and collaboration is the key, right? It's there's no one can do it all by themselves, and and again, collaboration is sort of the you know the the new buzzword, I guess, right? It's and and um, you know we all have to work together to 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 move step by step on this journey, and and again, we'll make mistakes. We'll, we'll, we'll jump down this rabbit hole and it doesn't work. We'll, we'll learn and, and, and go again. But um, as long as we're all talking and, and, and working together and see, I think, as, as Oswald said, it's, it's, it's not the initial, what am I going to, how much money are you going to save in the next six months by digitalization, right? That's, a, a, that's exactly the, the, uh, the, the conversation not to have, right, is what if you don't do it? Right. Where are you going to be? Right. And exactly. if you don't have a digital strategy, I sort of said before, if you don't have a digital strategy, um, you may not have a job next year. Right. Because everyone, you know, anyone at the CFO or, or CTO, whatever, that's going to be part of your business. And, and you're going to have to really build that now. So think about the future. Yeah. It's future proofing. No, I, I think that that's great. And, you know, I think the more people get involved, the more they're going to see other use cases, right? It's kind of time, you know, there, there's never been as many uh, digital tools available to this industry. And it's really time to sort of get off the sidelines, you know, get into the pool and, and sort of see what you can do. Um, and I think the more we have people do that, the more great ideas are going to come out and the more innovation we're going we're going to see. But uh, I, I think it, it'll be really good to see that. You know, the, the power of a standard, I think, is, is really important as well. Maybe I'll give an analogy for the power of a standard with our platform. So if I was to develop a brand new way of doing trade finance, you know, digitally native, the, the latest platform, I'd probably have to write a 30 to 40 page rule book to govern it because you need to have those sort of private contracts because there is no standard for it. The rule book for letters of credit on Contour is about a paragraph long, which stands, which says we subscribe to UCP and EUCP. Uh, so, you know, the, the power of a standard is that you don't need to go and, you know, write these these long things, which which takes so much legal costs. And then if, if you need to sign up to them, you don't have to review them. It, it can be it can be much simpler. So 
you know, I really do think that that will help in, in the land of, of title transfer because, you know, when people do look to adopt Contour, you know, as Carl was mentioning, it's, it's a collaborative thing. It's not just Contour, it's Contour Plus, because, you know, what are you going to use for your digital title transfer? What are you going to use for your integration partner and things like that? And the more that's standardized, the easier it will be and the lower barriers. And then uh, we, we can stop having these uh, business case discussions, which I, I agree are starting to become uh, a bit moot in, 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 in the long way. Okay, so maybe just closing thoughts uh, from both of you. Uh, you know, I'd love to hear uh, anything that maybe we didn't cover today or you want the audience to hear and, uh, you know, any calls to action, of course, as well. So I, I think I'll just kind of uh, reinforce, you know, the message, which is there are really great standards that people can use. If you're a developer, we'll, we'll help find, you know, we'll help provide that clarity. If you're an executive and you're trying to figure out, well, where do I invest my time? We need to provide that clarity too, so that we don't end up with 25 different people trying to solve for the same thing. And I think, you know, for, for importers and exporters, you know, um, it's, you know, it's 2021, you know, digitization is something that is, if you're not embracing digitization, if you haven't even started this journey, it's going to be a challenge because, you know, your competitors will be more efficient and more effective, you know, within their processes going forward. You know, we will all work together on actually solving for the interoperability challenge. We understand it's, it's, it's frustrating and it's challenging when you have multiple platforms or multiple solutions and you're hitting those barriers of how do I ensure that, you know, certain information can flow through the whole, whole chain. Um, but, you know, that's happening now. We have the World Business Organization working with all of the different industries and with the platform owners that it's just a matter of time. So, you know, get into it. <laughs> Cara? Yeah, I'll, I'll sort of um, wrapping uh, up. I think, again, 20 years ago when I, when I was doing this, everyone talked about, you know, retailers and everyone competed on price, right? And the next thing was they competed on their supply chain. And that's how they're competing. It mm -hmm. wasn't just price. Well, again, maybe the new standard is everyone's going to compete on digitalization. Right. That's the next standard. That's again, that's going to make you more competitive is, is how digital, how automated, you know, how how what percentage of structured data do you have in your supply chain? That's going to make you more powerful than than the next uh, the next guy. Final thought on that uh, call is. I would ask any person who's listening here, go to your analytics department and ask them if they have a problem with data quality and the impact that that has on all of your advanced analytics ambitions. And then talk to platforms <laughs> on how to solve quality. Okay, I think that's great. And maybe just, just one wish that I have for the year is that uh, this is the year of sort of meaningful adoption and, and maybe less experimentation. You know, I, I think we will definitely continue to do experimentation this year, and I'm really excited about some of the, 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 the new ideas we're going to be working on. But we're going to be working on those new ideas with the companies, the banks and the corporates that are already adopting what is out there today. Um, and I think that is going to be the key thing. If you want to look at the future, you have to adopt what's there in the present, and I think you'll like what you see. Um, I think that's all the time we have for today. So I wanted to thank you, of course, Oswald, for your great insights and updates. Uh, we do hope to do this again soon. Uh, and just for the listeners, that was Oswald Kaler, the Managing Director of ICC's Digital Standards Initiative, and of course, our very own CEO, uh, Carl Wagner. We will be rolling out more podcasts in the coming weeks, so please check our website for the latest episodes. 
Uh, the URL is contour.network. Or of course, you can always subscribe with us at Apple or Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. If there are any topics you want us to cover, please email your suggestions to contact at contour.network. Thank you very much for listening in. Until next time, I'm Joshua Craker, signing off.